we didn't go anywhere. <laughs> and yet we feel like we're coming back. Don't you feel that way? <laughs> it really does feel like it's been four years since I saw you. That was a long weekend. It, it was a very long weekend. Of supposed alleged merriment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, you know, people had. Can't wait to see those Rona levels. <laughs> oh my God. I know that's not something I'm looking forward to, but hopefully in the next two weeks, everything will be okay. You'd be proud of me. I have not been obsessively refreshing the New York Times map like oh. I thought I would as soon as it was midnight on Thursday and became Friday. Refresh, refresh, refresh. I didn't oh. do it. Oh, look at you. You're growing. She's growing. I don't well, really deserve credit for that because it's really a function of I always find something else to be obsessed with. Oh, that's when fair. I'm not obsessed with one thing, I guarantee you I'm obsessed with something else. That's so. fair. Hopefully. Know that. We'll see by the end of the week. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully shit's not crazy. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. Because no one can get tested because lines are four hours long. Oh, my God. The, yeah. lines, the lines are crazy. It's everybody, everyone I know who's tried to do it. Oh. In New York City, the lines are crazy. I managed to be in and out in about an hour, but that was because I got there at 6.45 in the morning and they opened at 8. My friend got there three hours ahead of the opening and by hour four after opening, they were like, we don't have any more slots. Yeah. Seven hours. Mm -hmm. For nothing. Someone else told me they did the same shit, that mm -hmm. they had to wait for seven hours. I haven't seen a line that long since the last time I went to the club. I was going to say since you're... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, That's I the kind of line I can get behind. I thought you were going to say... <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I mean, we might as well just have a turnstile installed in Angie's bedroom <gasps> in his boudoir. Excuse me. I'm, I still take tokens. That's how old I am. I'm a chaste young lady. <laughs> I am now. Yeah, exactly. I don't even remember how to do half the shit I used to. <laughs> oh I have to look it up on Urban Dictionary before you even come near me. <laughs> what is that? I used to do. I used to do that what? with you. The Who old, are you? The old rusty trombone. Oh, my God. Never, 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 never. <laughs> Love the name. It's fun. But if you really think about it, it's disgusting. Dude. <laughs> no disrespect to any of you Jenny from Forrest Gump's out there who are into that. Oh, oh, my God. You're not ready for this. <gasps> Do you know what generation Forrest Gump is from? Uh, are you going to make a joke? Gen generation? No. Gen A. <laughs> did you make that up no i hate that because i hate her <laughs> she's the worst uh, it's weird how that was on instagram like a couple days ago i was like that's hilarious because we just talked about it i was thinking about our conversation about that it's a very good illustration of the differences between you and me when we got to the point where you were like of course he did that because he loves her and i was like he doesn't love her he barely knows her that was very <laughs> illustrative of our differences <laughs> it's true you're romantic and i'm like she was this and he didn't know anything prostitution horses and he flips the table bitter <laughs> bitter person oh man can't you let the poor man have his chocolates and his imaginary woman no i can't <laughs> i would have shaken him out of his gear <laughs> out of his rickety ass fucking shit you don't love her you don't even know her okay calm down <sighs> anyway oh jesus me and sally field intervention so what's on the dance card today well we promise you that when you hear the topic, you may think we're going to get maudlin or overly serious, but we're not. We're merely being, I would say, reverent yes. of the day. And we're going to tell some good human interest stories about this particular, not holiday, particular marker. Yes. Particular I wouldn't call it a holiday. Observance, yes. perhaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because today, Tuesday, December 1st, which is when this is airing, is World AIDS Day. So that is, you know, obviously something that's serious. Yeah. Started by the WHO, 
not the band, the World Health Organization, not the pinball wizard in 1988, I believe. Mm, that sounds right. Yes. People can remember who's passed away. People can try to end stigma for people who are living with HIV and AIDS. And that's really good. We want to talk about it. And I'm glad we remembered. Yes, me too. I'm we thought about this months ago. We did. The fact that it was remembered is astonishing. And I have to give myself a little bit of credit. I'm the one who remembered. You were the one that remembered. And I can't even believe that because I also remember this. Are you ready for this? This I'm, is scary. I'm not ready. I know why we thought about it because it came upon September 17th, which was the 30 something. I'd have to look it up. It was the day that Reagan first said HIV in whatever year he said it. Right. right so right. I was having a haunt about that. And we were like, on World AIDS Day, we should talk more about that. Because we considered talking about it on that day. But that was a little too niche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not going to dwell too much on the negative like Reagan. We will in service of getting to more heartwarming elements of it. It's part of the story. Like, it has to be told. And by no means are we going to tell the entire story. Yes, because exactly. Because we assume that you know a lot of it. We hope you do. And, you know, it's not exactly the most happy thing to talk about. So we're trying to approach it from an angle of happy things. Yeah. And just reminding people that it's still a thing just because we have different types of pre-exposure prophylactics doesn't mean prep. Mm -hmm. Just because we have different types of prep doesn't mean that it's gone. No. It's definitely on the, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but it can't it's, imagine I think declining. the Apex was 2005. Mm -hmm. And it's been on a downward trajectory. Although I remember if you were graphing it from the beginning, from like 1981 to the present, it was going up and then it started going down. Then it started going up again mm -hmm. because people got complacent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was around 2000. Okay. And then we've been on a downward trajectory since 2005. I could be wrong. Yeah. But I think we're approaching 40 million total infections, which is a lot. Oh my God. I was thinking of COVID. I was oh, like, no, no, no. What? Not this one. Not this one. <laughs> What is happening? That would have been scary. You're like, yeah, over the weekend, 40 million. Yeah, I know. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. The number jumped exponentially. Oh my God. I'm here for comic relief because <laughs> I'm dim-witted. <laughs> uh, no, he's not. But another thing I'll mention while we're still in the kind of sobering category is it's going to remain a problem until more affluent nations bite the bullet and give all of the lovely drugs and cocktails and pre-exposure prophylactics that we have to less fortunate countries. Because I think the statistic now is that only 60% of people who are infected are able to be undetectable. Yeah. They don't have it's, access I mean, to drugs. I say that that's crazy, but that's exactly what it is. Like, I don't think about, of course I don't. I don't see it, so I don't realize it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't I, affect us directly, so you sometimes overlook it. But no, you're absolutely right. Which unfortunately also affects the entire concept of undetectable, mm -hmm. reducing stigma and reducing fear, because there's outreach from one of the health organizations that's trying to make that like a slogan, kind of like something that they promote. You don't need to be afraid. They call it like a you trying to promote it, but it doesn't work on countries who can't track their viral loads or can't keep them down. Yeah. You know, which is like a dual problem. You don't know what your viral load is and you aren't taking steps to suppress it because you don't have access to them. So that's still a problem and it's never going to be eradicated until everyone who is infected has the ability to do that. Yeah. If 100% of people who were infected had undetectable viral loads right now, it'd be over. Unfortunately, that's not the case, but mm -hmm. we're getting closer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely like a step in the right direction. And it's no longer death sentence. Yes, it's absolutely for not. the most it part. It absolutely is. Well, that's the thing. You need to get tested. <laughs> yeah, everyone who has these lovely things available to them that people literally would have died for in the 80s, you need to avail yourself of. Yeah. Get tested. If you're positive, adhere to your medicine. 
And then we need to make sure that everyone else in the world who doesn't have those currently gets them. Yeah. And also, if you can, if you have access, get some kind of prep, whether it's Truvada, whether it's just chastity belt, whether whether it's Truvada, just go a very strict mother who still has a lot of sway over you. (laughs) Even though you're a grown ass man. (laughs) They're not not called dirty pillows, mama. They're called (laughs) breasts. (laughs) Oh, my God. What would be the corollary? What would our pieces be if breasts are dirty pillows to Mrs. White? What would she call a penis? Um, oh my god I don't know I want to rewrite that movie with a gay boy as the child oh boy that'd be messy <laughs> that'd because be they would just so dark as soon as he figured out he had telekinetic powers he would first of all use them for evil <laughs> you know that he'd be taking off people's pants from across the room you know <laughs> <laughs> be putting stuff up his butt telekinetically during oh. math class oh you know that. my god I would <laughs> I'd be like nothing maybe excused may have a hall pass Thank you. Oh, my God. So where did you want to start with this? Well, you know what? We'll briefly just talk about Reagan for a little bit. I don't want to hem and haw and get apoplectic or anything or turn red, even though it is December 1st. So it's Christmas time. I'm wearing a green sweater. If I turn red, I'll be ready for the holiday. (laughs) But, But I just don't know if everyone knows that the response to AIDS by Reagan and the Reagan administration was arguably worse than the Trump administration's response to COVID. And I believe what he means to say is the lack of response, because there was no response. Exactly, because in Trump's (laughs) case, there was a bungled response. And in Reagan's case, there was radio silence for years. Mm -hmm. And around 35,000 people had already died before he even uttered the word AIDS. Like 1986, I believe it was 1987. But could you imagine? But how fucked? I know we're not going to get mad, but it's so mind boggling that you have people dying left and right. And it just goes totally unacknowledged, totally unacknowledged. Well, like, it also gets worse than that because, oh, pardon me. Correction. It was 85. So there was okay. four plus years, September 17th, 1985 in a White House briefing. And we'll get to the second time because the second time he says it is heartwarming. And we'll get to that. A heroine that you might not know about, but we will tell you tale of her. And she's fantastic. But we'll get to that. Yeah, it's worse than that because his press secretary in the early stages of the pandemic, I believe it was 1983, reporters would try to ask the press secretary questions about AIDS and they would mock them. They'd be like, oh, are you telling me that you have AIDS? Is that what you're going to tell me? They would openly mock them in front of the press corps. Like it was something to be laughed at when people were already dying. So it's bad enough that Reagan is completely radio silent. His lackeys are making fun of it like locker room talk. Like, oh, he wants to talk about AIDS. And, you know, nobody said any gay epithets, but you know that was the overarching feeling. Yeah, of course. So it's frightening. Which is worse? Are we going to mock it and belittle it and pretend like it's something to be made light of in a White House press briefing? Or are we just going to completely ignore it? Or are we going to Nancy and your friend, quote unquote, Rock Hudson, is dying in Paris and begging you for help and you ignore him? She's complicit too. And like we talked about Barbara Bush that one time, all four of them are complicit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the vice president and the second lady were right there too. The whole thing was messy. But... It's questionable. I'm not defending Trump. I never would ever. I'd rather die. I would die right here in this very spot. But Trump wasn't targeting anyone necessarily. He's just an imbecile (laughs) who didn't know what he was doing and didn't care to know what he was doing. Reagan essentially was saying that it's not worth it to me to try to defend a subset of people because that's untoward or something I don't want to talk about or, oh dear, how could we talk about that? But so enough about that. This does lead us to a lady hero (laughs) that we were discussing it earlier when we were playing this episode. La Liz. 
two time Oscar winner, Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> I don't know because I don't know that much about her either, to be totally honest. Like, what do you know about her? Not really much. Like, really. Like, like anything. Yeah, basically nothing. Okay. I mean, you know she's an actress. Actress, that was that from, from the golden age of Hollywood. Yes. Right? 40s, 50s, and 60s were her heyday. She won two Oscars for Butterfield 8, where she played a high-class call girl. And Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, where she played against type. And nobody thought the gorgeous, beautiful starlet could play the housefrau shrew from hell. But she was amazing. It's one of her best performances. Played opposite her real-life husband, Richard Burton. So the chemistry is off the charts. Oh, it's nice. insane. But she was, and really still is, and sidebar, we could be here for days talking about all of the people, celebrity and non-celebrity, that put in the work to try to remedy. stem the yeah, remedy stem and then help all the people who were victims of it. But this is next level though. This is next level. It's kind of magical because she's in a position to do something that very, very few people on earth can with yeah. her staggering celebrity. I mean, she was one of the most famous actresses in the world. Yeah. Everyone knows who she is. Everyone talked about her. She's in the tabloids all the time. She's married eight times to seven different men. <laughs> she's fantastic. The irony is she was already a gay icon. That's what makes it extra sweet. Yeah. Is that yeah, gay yeah. men love her. And the fact that she can't. Oh, fuck. <laughs> what? You know I'm going to cry. Eventually. Oh, We yeah. all know that's going to happen. I was like, what's going on? Okay. The fact that she gave back to the community that had supported her for so much of her career yeah. in such a beautiful human way is staggering. Yeah. It's beautiful. You just don't see people being that level of genuine mm -hmm. and like that level of caring. Mm-hmm. And just to tell you a little bit about what she did, I didn't know this until I kind of shored up my research. Apparently, Kathy Ireland, model, actress, and businesswoman, was a very good friend of hers. And at one point, a couple of years ago, after she passed away, Liz passed away at 79 in 2011. Yes. Told stories about she ran a Dallas Buyers Club out of her Bel Air home. Mm -hmm. She was doing exactly what you saw in the movie if you saw the movie with Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto. So she was selling, just to clarify, she was selling medication for the treatment of HIV AIDS. That had not been approved by the FDA. That had not been, yes, that had not been approved out of her house. That was illegal. Oh yeah. And experimental. Yeah, but she was selling it out of her fucking house. Out of her house, often bankrolled by her own money. She would sell jewelry and she would do everything she could to get these people what they needed. Because we were talking about this earlier. I mean, AZT wasn't FDA approved until March of 1987. But even then, you were not really any better off, depending on how your body responded to it. It could kill you faster than AIDS could. Mm -hmm. But most people just wanted to try. If it were me, I'd rather take a pill and die from it than yeah. not do anything. Yeah, of course. You just sit there and you feel so impotent. You're just going to wait to die. I would do anything. Mm -hmm. I could. So she knew that and she went to the fucking mat. In addition to all the public things that she did, she was the first person to do any sort of charity work. That black market drug ring out of her Bel Air mansion was, in addition to all the public works that she did, she was the first person ever to share an AIDS benefit in LA, Commitment to Life Dinner. That was in 1985, which was very early on. Mm -hmm. And then she became the spokesperson and the chair of what became the American Foundation for AIDS Research, AMFAR, yeah. which exists to this day. And she was the face. I remember that even as a preteen, mm -hmm. like when I got old enough to kind of understand what that was and what AIDS was. I remember she was there always. She was the face of it. Yeah. Using her influence, using her celebrity. And she founded her own organization, the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation in 1991, which still exists to this day, which tells you that a large part of her state likely went to still fund it. And that's amazing. And it is 
sad. I think that she's the kind of person who would have done it anyway, but it did touch her personally. She was very close to Rock Hudson, who we already yes. mentioned. He was one of the first well-known people to pass away. He also was very upfront about it too, because he wanted to make it clear that that's what he was dying of, even though it meant he was de facto coming out of the closet, which he had hid forever his entire career. Mm -hmm. He was like a heartthrob womanizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he blew that up at the end because he thought it would be important to yeah, have people know, yeah. put a face on it, like yeah. a face that everyone knew. And they were very good friends. So she was very, because this is America. And if celebrities don't say it, it, oh doesn't, it doesn't exist. I mean, believe me, I love that Liz was using her celebrity in this way. But, but at I'm the also same like, time, it's frustrating. It's yeah. scary how effective that is. Yeah. But also her personal secretary for decades, his name was Roger Wall. He committed suicide in 1991 after finding out he was positive. And she said, quote, that it was one of the biggest losses of her life. So that's that just galvanized her. And she was like, no. And Kathy Ireland tells stories about, you know, she could have been charged with crimes for the Dallas Buyers Club scheme. Yeah. Friends of hers were like, don't do this. Don't get into this thing. You I, know, it's in poor taste. She did not care. I, I'd i love to see a movie about that. About Probably. Liz Taylor having no fucks left to give? Like, I would love that. I would see that, that, that That's the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, just not even a movie, but just imagining like being one of those people. I mean, maybe it wasn't done quite like this, but like from what is being described to me, I'm just imagining some guy like shows up to her house and he's like, hey, I'm here for you. Like, you know what I mean? Hi. Hi, is Liz, Liz Taylor. Taylor home? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or if Liz Taylor actually answers her own door. Hi. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then, I'm here about the thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm here to see a two-time Oscar winning actress about a horse. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> just that image. The is, hilarity. Yeah. Because she was very hands-on. Kathy Ireland also mentions that when money was changing hands, she sometimes had envelopes of money. She was there That's doing crazy. it. That's you know? so crazy. And she didn't care because by that time, she made a lot of mention about how she was tired of being famous. She never really wanted to be as globally, inescapably famous as she was for most of her life. Yeah. And she said, quote, I could take the fame I resented and try to get away from for so many years, but you can never get away from it and use it to do some good. I wanted to retire, but the tablets wouldn't let me. So I thought, if you're going to screw me over, I'll use you. So she used her notoriety, which never abated. Even after her career kind of slowed down. Yeah. And she stopped acting. She was always in the public eye. And she said, she was like, I don't give a shit what people think. I've been famous for too long. People mm -hmm. have made so many unsolicited opinions about me. I'm a homewrecker. I'm this and that. I don't care. I do not care. Liz Taylor, no fucks left. <laughs> the no fucks left to give story. And she said, and this is my favorite quote. I'm a great hustler. I'm a good con artist. In fact, one of the best. There's certain things only I can do. And I think she really believed that she was right. Because here's the coup de grace as we leave our Liz Taylor chapter. Ronald Reagan, who was a B-list actor in Hollywood, versus Liz, who was, you know, one of the biggest stars in the world, didn't say AIDS until September 17th, 1985. The second time that he said it, she convinced him by writing him a personal letter to give the keynote speech at an Amphar dinner. That's like sorcery. The yeah. fact that he could go from one extreme to that. Being there, and yeah, it was probably just optics, but looking like he gave a shit. But willing to tether himself to that. Yeah. How could she do that? I mean, she was also, <laughs> this also is frightening, but men fell at her feet. She probably charmed the pants off of him and got him to do it because yeah. she was the woman that every man wanted. She was the woman you don't want your husband around that woman because she's going to take your man. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and you might not even mind because you're like, it's Liz Taylor. What am I going to do? <laughs> oh my God. One final thing. She also read Bush one. She was not afraid. She said publicly at an international AIDS convention, I don't think President Bush is doing anything at all about AIDS. In fact, I'm not even sure he knows how to spell AIDS. 
the president of the United States. She's like, look, bitch, you're not doing enough. I don't oh like God. this. And that's why she received the Légion d'honneur from France and the Presidential Citizens Medal from President Clinton. And that's why in 2000, Queen Elizabeth made her a dame. Oh, I didn't know that. She's a dame. She's a dame. There's nothing like a dame. But yeah, I just think it's amazing. I really do. The final thing that Kathy Ireland says, and I'll get off my fawning over Liz Taylor, but she went, oh God. She said she went quietly with no press to just hug people in the hospital. Yeah. Who were pariahs and nobody wanted to touch them. And that's just so beautiful. What if you're a gay man dying and you're of the age where she was a superstar and she just came to give you some human contact? How amazing is that? That's amazing. Love you, lady. Love you. <laughs> Love you, lady. You're fantastic, darling. You're a legend. You'll always be a legend. Icon. Seriously. Legends. Icon. Seriously. I mean, she's she's the kind of star. It doesn't matter. She'll always be a legend. She'll always yeah. be a star. They don't make them like her anymore. So, yeah, that's wonderful. And kind of a nice side of the Reagan thing that I don't yeah. even think about that much. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. And I should. I, I didn't know about this story. Yeah. So. It's the better part of it. Like, as much as I rant and rave about Reagan, because I don't think everyone really knows that, and it makes me angry that he's venerated so much to this day in the GOP. Mm-hmm. This is something that we should talk about more, you know? Yeah. The fact that she could use her feminine wiles and get him to speak at that dinner is amazing. And speaking of women, another thing that people don't know, especially gay men, and the gay men who were there admit it, the unsung heroes of the early days of the pandemic are lesbians Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons. Number one, you know, lesbians insofar as physiological aspects of AIDS, they yeah. were relatively safe. But they said definitely, to themselves- Definitely safer. I mean, I think it was virtually impossible for vaginal to vaginal sex to- I mean, it's not impossible, but it's very, yeah. my God, like mathematically, almost statistically impossible. Yeah. Lesbians were like, this is decimating our community. What are we going to do? So they did what Liz did. They were there at the hospital. They were there filling out your forms, holding your hand. Blood supplies were low because there was so much blood that needed to be tested from you as an AIDS patient that you were down blood and then gay men were no longer allowed to give blood. So still aren't basically, which we talked about in the first. That's where we got our title. Oh my God. God. We've come full circle. That's it. We're done. Just kidding. You wish it was that easy to guess to stop talking, but it's not. (laughs) So they would organize, especially a lot of lesbians in San Diego would organize these huge blood drives where it was so cute. They'd put out an ad in the news. We got to help our boys. Like it was wartime and they'd expect 50 and 300 lesbians to show up and give blood. Yeah. And it's fantastic because the gay guys who would later chronicle this in books and articles and verbal histories were like, these were the same gay men who weren't exactly kind to less, you know, this and mm-hmm. da da da, and weren't exactly inclusive or intersectionalism. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. was a lack of intersectionalism, which persists to this day. And I don't like it, especially because I'm from San Francisco. It's much better there. Yeah. I was going to say it's, so, I don't like it. It is strange that in New York city, when you go to bars and stuff, it's a gay bar. Yeah. It's a lesbian bar. Or we can't even give them cubbyhole. We have to fucking, they had to hire men because so many fucking gay guys went there. There's not, like Andy said, there's just not a lot of intersectionalism, especially in New York. It's very strange. It's, I feel like more and more now with, I feel like the queers on the rise. Like, I feel like that's more of a thing where. Because that just kind of makes everybody one big happy family. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's something that I think people need to be more aware of. Listen, I've worked with people as soon as, as soon as a woman walks in the bar, they roll their eyes. I'm like, 
nothing has happened. What are you rolling your eyes about? <laughs> like, like seriously, relax. misogyny is not part and parcel of male homosexuality, which a lot of people think it is or act like they do. Mm -hmm. And it's distasteful, especially when you consider things like this. People need to learn their history and then you need to appreciate it. Because I think if we were in an alternate universe where the AIDS epidemic happened now instead of the early 80s, I think it'd be the same thing. Because women are like that. Women are kind and they care and they're caregivers. And I think it's in their DNA. I believe the lesbians that we know today would do the exact same thing as the lesbians of the 80s. Mm -hmm. And we need to remember that. It's also one of those things that I feel like you never, you never quite know how you're going to react until you're in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think that if, if they ever needed us, that we'd be there for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely would give the reciprocity if I had a chance to. But they don't tend to denigrate us the way that we tend to denigrate them, by and large. I'm not saying you and me. I'm just talking about... Generally speaking, yeah. When you think about who gives whom more shit, it's usually gay men are giving more shit to lesbians than vice versa. <laughs> gay men give everyone shit. Gay men are awful. <laughs> <laughs> there's lovely books. There's lovely articles in oral histories about it. Mm -hmm. They went to bat. They were like, these are our people this is our community because they were about intersectionalism and they said to themselves this isn't mowing us down so we should do what we can to help those that it is which yeah. is lovely and admirable something that you would want if it were you so that's wonderful we should call this episode liz and the leses <laughs> it's our new band liz and the it's an elizabeth taylor lesbian tribute band <laughs> with two men <laughs> no one said it made any sense yeah, so I don't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast or personally or... Or if you dreamt it. Or if I dreamt it or if I sent you smoke signals. I don't remember. Ooh. Um, <laughs> is that why you're wearing those feather earrings? It is, isn't it? Oh my God. If so, you have a teepee, it's a fucking God. Oh, my God. We, cultural appropriation. Yeah. Your wigwam. Your lace front wigwam. It's a wigwam. <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> God damn it. Okay, let me start one more time. There's a podcast that I listen to called This Podcast Will Kill You. And it's about infectious disease. Oh. And they do an episode, I believe it was episode 12, and they did a bonus episode afterwards. It'll kill you more. It'll kill you, <laughs> kill you more. It'll resurrect you and kill you again. But episode 12 and the following bonus episode were about the AIDS crisis. Well, it wasn't about the AIDS crisis, but it was about the virus. They it's gave you AIDS. science. Didn't yeah, 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 yeah. It's the science of it, but they get slightly political. They mentioned Reagan and how awful I like that. We did the research for everything, but we just decided decided that it would be a little bit more us to not yeah. to get too sciencey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and we don't want to depress you, getting all numbery. Yeah. You, know. you you didn't come here for us to get numbery. Or yeah, facts. Exactly. Good. <laughs> yeah, you didn't come here for facts, bitch. Questions, we will direct you to your healthcare provider. So yeah, the whole episode is about it. Honestly, I highly recommend you listen to it because part of what they did with this one is they pulled in some stories, people's personal stories that they told. One of them was saying he was at work and one of the secretaries there came up to him and was like, oh, have you heard about this gay cancer? All these crazy things that people were thinking and that they said and just, so he was obviously in the closet. So she Ugh. didn't know who she was talking to. Oh boy. But it's just like saying something like that to someone. I'm like- It was temporarily medically accepted. One of the early names for it was GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency. Yeah, I remember. So just grid. slap the word gay on it and blame gays wholly and unequivocally but yeah so and this is probably the two stories about the two gay men were very sad so it's from their perspective yeah they just give a blurb about their story mm -hmm. and they talk about how more often you'd be going to funerals than dinners like uh -huh. literally funerals constantly happening yeah. but the third guy who they interview his story is just 
it takes it takes evil to a whole new level when he was born his phfather was a phlebotomist and he didn't want to pay child support because the parents got divorced and he was very young like he was still an infant and his father stole a bag of hiv infected blood from where he worked and he injected his son with it and it took them forever to figure out what it was they didn't understand what was wrong they didn't know what was going on had they identified the hiv virus yet yeah so what they did was they ran all these tests they didn't understand what was going on and the doctor was just like this is the only thing left he's like let's just check it and sure enough there it was. That's and actually how they figured out that it was not just sexual, is that when children started to get it, they're like, unless all these children have been raped, which we don't want to go there, but it's not likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when they figured out the other means, like okay. breast milk. Exactly, yeah. So his father ended up getting, I think he got life in prison. Good. He's probably still in jail. Yeah. And the guy has like all kinds of other health problems, but he's a motivational speaker. Oh, nice. So he took, you see this happen with a lot of people who are the victims of even just violent crime. They take their experience and they're like, okay, well, I can't be miserable for the rest of my life. Or you could. Or I could. But there's no point. Exactly. So they take it, they turn it around, they use they it. They flip it like Georgia. And they... <laughs> And they wanted to make a sex joke, but I'm not going to because it's not appropriate. Nobody flips anymore. <laughs> a sea of bottoms and you see a top like an oasis, like a mirage in the desert. <laughs> he flipped it around and he uses it as a motivational tool and talks to people about his life experience. And I mean, my God, you're in that audience. Like you're really going to feel bad about yourself after you hear that story. Yeah. It, really? It's, right. Right. I dare you. It's it, and it's that's not really related to what we're talking about. All three of those stories did happen during the AIDS crisis. I, I would say that it is. Though. I'm sure a lot of people did that with their own diagnosis. Yeah. And I think a lot of people did that. They've never really been able to explain why certain people lived and certain people died. And I think a lot of it is psychological. Yeah, it totally could be. Because I believe in that stuff. Not to get too hippy dippy, but I mean, your mental state absolutely has an effect on your health. And I'm not blaming you if you just were paralyzed with fear and convinced you were going to die and you did die. That's not your fault. Yeah. But especially with the way everything was handled. That's yeah. Not your fault. Well, when you think that the entire government has just put you out with the garbage to die. They left you on the hill. Exactly. Yeah. But... There were a lot of people who were probably very positive, like, no, I'm not going to let this happen to me. I'm not going to go out without a fight. And there are probably more of the people who are still alive today. That does connect to it. But yeah, I remember hearing that story while I was driving and I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like, people are fucking insane. I mean, that kind of mental strength is probably how a lot of people who were like, I should have been dead 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Everyone I knew in the 80s is dead and I'm alive and it's 2020. Yeah. How is that even possible? Yeah. Oh, God. It's so fucking crazy. And it's we- kind of amazing. Obviously, not the same thing, but- And we're living through a pandemic right now, which is fucking also insane. We are. We are. We are. So what did you have to wrap up with? Well, in closing, I just, again, this isn't the most pleasant conversation to talk about. It can get really sad, and it always makes me cry in one way or the other, like most things <laughs> in the world. But there's a lot of good- art and various cultural things that if you are interested in getting in touch with the history of it, if you feel compelled to maybe understand it better for yourself and you feel like you don't currently, theater that rose out of the 80s, like As Is, The Normal Heart by Larry Kramer, who was a friend of Fauci. Fauci was apparently a preeminent AIDS doctor in the 80s. Larry Kramer, who was always a Molotov cocktail activist, would read Fauci to filth in the press, everywhere, every chance to get. But they were friends for 30 years. And when he died this May, Fauci was very sad. They were very good friends. But the art that rose out of it, there's a lot that you can look at. There's How to Survive a Plague, the documentary, which is very good. And the band played on. Good book about it. There's a lot of things you could read that sometimes will be difficult, but 
it's important to know these things, especially somebody like me. I just missed it. If I was 10 years older, I, I would have been involved in it. Mm-hmm. I probably would have been positive at a certain point. And having just barely missed that, that's how I started learning about this. You don't learn this shit in school. You don't learn about what Reagan did or didn't do in school. I only learned about it when I was a gaby and I started to do my own research and reading about these things. I wanted to know. And I'm just saying, if you want to know, there's a lot of things you can find out. And there's a lot of things that are uplifting, Mm -hmm. like the AIDS quilt and the history of the Red Ribbon. Yeah, that's been kind of part of my 2020 was like, oh, there's a bunch of shit that I should know about, like the history of my people that I don't really know. Well, there's so much shit that everyone doesn't know. I know know? there are certain things I feel like I need to actually learn more about. And that's definitely I think the next thing on the list is the AIDS crisis. But the most important step is to realize that there are things you want to know. Yeah. Yeah. That you want to shore up your knowledge of. And I started with good friend, the Stonewall riots, which was. Yeah. Which you had a great time researching that. If you don't listen to our episode about the Stonewall riots, She's it was cute. a it was a doozy. She's cute. <laughs> episode three. I, mean. I was a little, shall we say, irreverent about the entire topic, as I am known to be. <laughs> well, we we try and have a good time. We try and have a good. Time. That's my role. When you take the lead on the research portion, it's my job to make you laugh and distract you from that. Exactly. Because I don't want you to have nice things. <laughs> But yeah, so in closing, I would just like to say the whole overarching idea of World AIDS Day in part was to honor the people who passed away, honor the people who are living with AIDS. But the third tenet was to reduce stigma. So I always want to close with that. If I ever have an organized conversation about HIV AIDS, it's just to this day, stigma persists. Oh, absolutely. And it's fully human They debunked everything but the actual reality of how HIV infections occur in 1985. And you still had at least five years of, I don't want that kid in my school and da 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 da, and you can't use that toilet seat. It's human ignorance and the propensity of humans to be ignorant. And everybody does it in their own small ways. But just try to remember, these people didn't do anything wrong. These people aren't dirty. These people aren't guilty or culpable or bad or anything like that. They're just people who have a chronic illness. There was an episode of the fucking Golden Girls where Rose had, Mm -hmm. you think years earlier, she had had gallbladder surgery. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we think you may have been, when you had the blood transfusion, that may have been HIV infected blood. Yeah. So she's waiting for the test for three days and she's freaking out the whole time. And Sophia labels all the fucking mugs (laughs) with, she labels Rose's mugs with R's so she doesn't use them. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like a gag at first, but then it's kind of like... That shit was real. That Yeah, no, that was real. But Dorothy's like, you can't get it like that. Stop being ridiculous. They kicked Ryan White out of school. You know about Ryan White, right? No, I don't. They kicked Ryan White out of school. He was a teenager who had contracted HIV from a blood transfusion. And he was a pariah in his town. And they banned him from school. And it was ridiculous. But he really... Uh, I can't say for certain. It was somewhere... It was in America. I believe it was in the Midwest okay. somewhere. But it was similar to the story you talked about with the podcast. He was the face of, this can happen to anyone, and I'm a teenager. I didn't do anything. So look at me. And he died in April of 1990. Mm-hmm. And he was 18. But he became very educational, and he had a foundation. And his life had a lot of purpose because he was very instrumental towards teaching people, this isn't something that people do to themselves no matter how they get it because if a boy can get it and die when he's 18 he died at that age. he died in april of 1990 he was 18 if he can get most of his life taken away from him and he did nothing but live as a hemophiliac yeah there is no assignment of guilt or culpability it was a blood transfusion. it was about because okay. he was a hemophiliac oh okay 
But just don't do that. Don't think of people as less than because they have a disease that you don't have. That's not the measure of people's value as human beings. Yeah. And it shouldn't be and it isn't. Just try to be kind. And think about words you say. And I'm yeah. not trying to take it to, into the woods, I promise. I know that I'm, it almost, <laughs> this, no, it, it almost went there. But just like we were talking about that one time, a couple of episodes back, clean versus dirty. Are you clean? Are you dirty? Think about the way your words would affect someone who's HIV positive. And think about how you'd feel if someone referred to you that way, simply because of something that you have that's a health problem. Mm -hmm. It's not kind. It's unnecessary. And it's cruel. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to be thoughtlessly, carelessly cruel in ways that you're not thinking of. So just think about that. If this comes up, think about that. If you cross paths with someone who's HIV positive, just be sensitive the way that you'd want someone to treat you. That's it. That's all. <laughs> no, but I just, no, no, that wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's all we have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> her feather earrings are knocking against my, her face. My feather earrings. I'm distracted. I'm about to take off. Well, that's been our episode today. And I guess we'll see everybody next time. Yeah. It'll be Thursday. Thursday. Thursday, which will be Thursday. We're going to talk about something horrifying that Nick's trying to get me on. Oh, yeah. Ooh. To his side of things. I hope you're excited. It's going to be a good. It'll be fun. It'll be like an interesting kind of push pull because I'm a little leery, but you'll have to wait and see if he convinces me. Because as we know, I do tend to be a little stubborn in my opinions. I don't know if you've noticed just, that listening to the previous 30 something episodes of the show. Just a little bit. I can kind of maybe get a little set in my way sometimes. <laughs> Just a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. But you never know. He can be very persuasive. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. Your written reviews help us a lot. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at thatgayshow at gmail.com. Concerns. I mean, if you don't have concerns right now, I mean, you're one of us. Welcome then you're to not paying attention. Um, yeah, exactly. So also Instagram, we are at otrigay.podcast. <laughs> and we are on Twitter at otrigaypodcasts. So we will see everybody this Thursday and y'all have a good evening. And happy birthday, Albert. World AIDS Day is actually my friend Albert's birthday as well. That's Sagittarius, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Love you. Bye, everyone.